We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call and leave a message right now at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. And you can even ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Good morning, Scott. Scott. Nice to see you. I understand you got a seminar coming up. We do. We're, we're actually going to be hosting um, for a seminar through our invest, investors group office here mm-hmm. in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm excited because it's an estate planning seminar. And I think the number of questions and confusion over estate planning mm-hmm. is always a topic whenever we're speaking to our clients as they're thinking about retirement or those ones that are already retired. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's going to be Tuesday, October 25th. And it's at Leuna Station. And the neat thing, and if you've ever been to Leuna Station, yeah, it's just it's a nice. beautiful facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the King George Ballroom, and that's actually at the, in the lower level. Beautiful mm-hmm. place to hold a session. So mm-hmm. um, we've got a special guest coming from Winnipeg, our head office, uh, Christine Van Cowenberg. She's our vice president of tax and estate planning at Investors Group. And she's also written a, uh, several books. She's the author of Wealth Planning Strategies for Canadians. But more importantly, and I'm just sort of as a, as a personal comment, I've seen Christine, I'm sure Don has too, I've seen her speak probably three times in the last year alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, most recently at our educational conference in Winnipeg in September. And she is part of the, she teaches us yeah. how to then apply estate planning strategies for our clients. Mm-hmm. And so um, she is a fantastic resource extremely knowledgeable and she actually makes estate planning kind of fun because mm-hmm. she has a sense of humor about it too. Yeah. So, you know, and I, and I started thinking about what her talk and, and she's sort of focusing in on a lot of different areas. It's going to be for an hour and a half from seven till eight thirty. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's actually seven different kinds of situations that an individual could be in, in terms of their personal situation. You could be single, mm-hmm. you could be common law, you could be married, you could be separated, you could be divorced, you could be widowed, or you could be a blended family. So you start thinking about all those possibilities and the issues around that, and she's sort of able to take that and digest it and and give you some information and some ideas on the best way to approach it. And which is also and yeah. stuff like that. You have to would you really have to stress with this stuff is you have to do it before you get to a point where you need it. This is where early planning comes in, right? It is, and, and hopefully, I think if she gets you excited enough about it, we'll get the process rolling and be mm-hmm. able to help people with some strategies around it that we can implement. She's also gonna be talking about the specific issues for people who own vacation properties, mm-hmm. also for people who own businesses and their estate planning. And finally, those for um, that are disabled, or disabled beneficiaries as well. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the other part that she's going to sort of share is how are Canadians actually taxed at the time of death? What does that look like? And what strategies could we use to reduce the taxes in your estate and also including charitable giving? So there's going to be a lot of great information for people. Seating is very limited. I'm going to point that out because mm-hmm. I know we're tight in terms of the numbers. So the best thing to do is to give our office a call at 905 five. 529-7165, extension 5315, 5315, and you can leave a voicemail there this weekend uh, indicating your interest in coming, mm-hmm. or you can go to andyanddon.com, hit the listener inquiry button there, and just give us, send us your information, and if you're one guest or two guests planning to attend, mm-hmm. and your name and personal information, and we'll get back to you to confirm that we've got a seat for you. So just some fantastic information. A great speaker that we're bringing in from Winnipeg uh, with some fantastic information. 7 p.m., doors open at 6, 
presentation starts at 7, Leuna Station, Tuesday, October 25th. All right, sounds good. Tuesday, yeah. October 25th. And if you want more details, of course, give the office a call and they will help you out. Absolutely. And and just on a further note, um, there's a whole lot of probably listeners out there that don't realize she's actually been behind the scenes in some of the plans we've created. Mm-hmm. She's like our That's go-to. Right. Yeah. When we, when we uh, get to a, you know, a fairly complicated situation, guaranteed she will know it yeah because i've looked at these books her books are thick okay (laughs) (laughs) these are these are like university quality textbooks practically and uh that's all she does she is her specialty is simply to look at this and and increase her knowledge on estate planning so it's a and and at the same time like andy said she's got a personality Mm -hmm. so it's like having a prof that's actually really fun to listen to at the same time cool so no it'll be it'll be a great event but uh to start off today's show we i want to go over you know carp um, who is, uh, I guess, Canadian uh, retired people or persons, is all, it talks about their top 10 list on how to protect your life savings from unethical hmm. financial advisors. And I thought this was a really little, a good little tidbit here. And I thought, well, I'll bring this up for our listeners today. And the first thing is, and I'm finding this is happening anyway, but number one is to research your advisor. Hmm. Something like 80% of people that are looking at fi- for an advisor are now checking them out mm-hmm. on on the internet somehow, whether LinkedIn it's LinkedIn uh, or yeah, LinkedIn or, or Facebook or just Googling website, the name or the investors group or, site, yeah. uh, the investors group site to find out what they're all about. And the one thing I, I would love to see is, uh, and I think it's a prerequisite, is to have your CFP, Certified Financial Planner. If you're going to, you know, if you've got a fair bit of means to work with and you're looking at somebody to come up with strategies to make sure you're going to retire properly, or in, in or whatever it might be, it could be estate planning, tax planning, what have you. It's a you know a great place to start is research your advisor and see if they have their CFP. Number two, watch out for titles. Now, just to go with that CFP, there's a lot of titles out there, and what we're finding, particularly those ones that have senior financial planner, mm-hmm. uh, th- those are unregulated. They're not really a title, so you'll see all these things like senior investment specialist really means nothing, Yeah. okay? A person starting yesterday could actually put that beside their name. Mm-hmm. There's no regulation there. So you gotta, you gotta be careful with that. And again, that's why I'm going back to, you know, make sure they have a CFP. That actually does mean something. CLU is another very good one. Mm-hmm. And that's the uh, insurance. Now I wouldn't call it equivalent, but it just certainly has a, a lot of similarities to a CFP. Number three, know what you're paying for. You know, when you're, when you're finally getting you know, a plan done, you know, you be, be very upfront. You know, is this going to cost me anything? Am I, am I being charged by the hour? How are you getting paid? And, you know, all financial planners should be very, you know, upfront with this. It should, it's not a big deal, but at least you know mm-hmm. before you even ha- sit down. So, you know, no surprises, okay? Um, number four, and this one's kind of funny because a lot of my clients have become friends over the years. But they sure your advisor is not your friend. Mm. Okay, <laughs> so I guess this is uh, one of the ones. Really? Yeah, I guess oh. not. But uh, I I agree and disagree with. I'm this. taking back my Christmas present. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks again, Scott. Anyway, no, the advisor is not your friend, and and I guess what they're looking at is you know uh, so there's a lot seems to be a lot of people. It's kind of entering the business, and it's a tough business, I must admit, but. You know, just because they were your friend on whatever team or, or whatever, you, you go through this. Doesn't make them a good financial advisor? Doesn't necessarily make them a good <laughs> financial planner or advisor. And put them through the same hoops you would a stranger. Yeah. And that makes sense. Good point, yeah. Okay, so make sure that they're qualified and that you would do business with them either or. 
if they're a friend or not a friend, and if they are a friend, even better. Yeah. Because I I would say uh, somebody that you know knows you would certainly go right to the wall to make sure you're getting everything done for you. And that, that's the advantage of working with somebody you get along with. But quite often, I would say uh, a lot of your clients do become friends because you're dealing with such personal information mm-hmm. and you're looking after their best interests. Well, what friend... That's pretty much the definition of a friend, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it might be hard to find a friend that would do that for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, Maybe I have to reevaluate uh, the rest of them. <laughs> now, having said that, I don't see a lot of financial advisors helping people move. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's a test on a friendship, that's too. Right, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Do you guys have a truck? Do you have access to a truck at all? Case uh, of beer and a that's truck. That's right. That's right. Pick up. Uh, say no to loans. And that's number five. No, and what they're saying is... Be very careful about leveraging. This is where you you borrow to invest. Now, I'm not saying it should be a blanket, say no to loans. This is more of a title. But there's a lot of financial planners that are using leverage to increase a person's rate of return. But they're doing so at the cost of a lot of risk. It's It's increasing. And again, depending on your situation, it may be perfect for you. But you should know the type of risk that you're getting involved with. And I, I, have, I even had a client oh, just a couple of years ago. And that's, this person actually is pro, uh, somebody I've met. She wasn't a client yet. But she had had money. And, she, and I said, wow, that's good. And, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. As it turned out, it was borrowed against her house. Hmm. And she was whittling this down. And once I finally found a, a bigger situation of what it was all about, because we do a, you know, as we've always talked to Andy and, Andy and myself, we always do a, a, a full assessment of your situation, I realized that this person here had borrowed the money mm-hmm. and was using it to live on. Hmm. And the money was supposed to continue to grow faster than she was spending. Well, she basically, it was all gone. And yeah. and uh, unfortunately, it, it was just a matter of time since till she had to sell her house. Yeah. But it was never explained that way to this client. Mm. And unfortunately, like a lot of people, they won't take the planner to task. Mm-hmm. And I suggest that you should actually, you know, confront the planner and possibly even go to the our our it's called the MFDA Mutual Mutual Fund Dealer Association and report that situation. Mm-hmm. She was totally unaware of the situation. Sometimes you got to be very careful. So again, to say no to loans, rule of thumb I would say is yes, you don't want to borrow to invest, but there are situations where it makes sense. So anytime you you're looking at these kind of top ten lists, it's never quite cut and dry as mm-hmm. it, as it says. Uh, fill in the blanks. Don't just sign blanket forms. That's a, a big no-no um, in our industry. Um, again, the MFDA is absolutely all over advisors and have, get, they're levying huge fines for people that are, are getting forms signed with nothing on it. They're just blank forms saying, I guess these are just the standard forms and they're signing them. Again, know what you're getting. Know that you know your name's on it, what you're, what you're doing with it. If you're getting a payment, if you're transferring money, know exactly what it says on the form, then sign it. Um, number eight, nothing off the books. Okay, this is a one that has caused a lot of people some problems. And you always find the ones that end up in the papers later. It was not a company product. Mm-hmm. It was like a side product. Oh, yeah, well, this is only for special clients. And, yeah, you know, I, you qualify. It's, you won't even find it in the newspaper. You know, something's odd about it. And sure enough, it always is. If it's too good to be true, it always is. And you look back at kind of those days of, 
you know, the, the Ernie Madoff. Bernie, Bernie Madoff. Sorry, Bernie yeah, yeah. Madoff. Bernie Madoff of pyramid schemes. That's how they're sold. First of all, they get very friendly with the people they're with. And then they're talking about these products that they can't find anywhere. And that, but it seemed to be working because they keep getting money. Well, it end up being a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. So if it's not something that they can look up either through you know the company website or through a newspaper, then it probably isn't something it should be getting. Number nine, get it all in writing. Absolutely. And this is a written plan. Get a full financial plan. Andy and I have just literally feel that we're, we're beating that one to death though, but getting a full financial plan. And then it's something we update occasionally to make sure you're on track because life changes. But get it in writing. And finally, last and not least, probably one of the best ways is just trust your gut. Hmm. You know, if something doesn't, doesn't seem right, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so <laughs> if you just don't, because this is so important, your financial situation, your financial plan is very personal. And it's just like a doctor. You're going to feel comfortable because you're going to be dealing with this person for a long time and you're entrusting this person with your life savings, your goals, what you want to accomplish. So trust your gut and keep all those in mind and then you'll get your a perfect financial planner for you. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget about the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Oh, my goodness. It must be the worst uh, words you could ever hear. (laughs) I'm being audited. Yes. What do you do? Help. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, your first reaction is, oh, no, this is going to cost a lot. I'm going to have to pay a big tax bill, you know, et cetera. And and for most of us, you know, you kind of, uh, you file your tax return and then you wait in anticipation, right? Mm -hmm. You're waiting in anticipation for that notice of assessment to come in where they've agreed with your numbers or perhaps they've disagreed with your numbers, but that's sort of your first, your first sort of yeah. fresh, uh, you wipe your, wipe your brow and you think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good. The first hoop. The, the first hoop <laughs> is the, the, uh, the notice of assessment, but there's no reason why you can't be reassessed afterwards or mm-hmm. audited afterwards. So typically those that are getting, um, getting an audit, you probably, it's going to start off with, you're going to get a call from an, a CRA representative. Right. And, but, but clients will always ask us, and I'm sure they ask their tax preparers, you know, they're putting through certain deductions or they're applying certain expenses and they're always wondering, you know, is this going to trigger an audit or is something, what, is there anything I can do to avoid an audit? And there are definitely audit triggers and, you know, we can't, I can't go through all of them, but I would say some of the most common ones, the main thing would be a change in reporting. So something has changed. What? Why has it changed? And it's suddenly different from last year's return. Right. So it, typically, if you're a small business owner or a contractor or a freelancer, and you report you report a big swing in your revenue or a big swing in your expenses, like up and down year mm-hmm. to year, that's probably going to be a red flag for sure. Um, let's say your company's gross margins are different than others in your industry. And that's a great, that's going to be another red flag. You know, everybody, everybody in your business who makes a hundred thousand ends up paying tax on 50. Why is yours only 10? Mm -hmm. You know, so why do you have more, way more expenses than everybody else in the business? Um, Let's say you collect a low rate of GST compared to revenues that are generated. So that's going to cause a red flag as well. Uh, And on the individual return, simply claiming a specific deduction for the very first time 
can trigger an audit. So maybe it's the first time you've tr- uh, you're claiming a disability tax credit, mm-hmm. or maybe it's the first time you're you're claiming tuition credits or rental credits. Anytime it's a first timer, you're usually going to get audited and asked mm-hmm. for additional information. So these are all red flags. Red flags, as I said, for CRA. Um, and you know they really don't provide any guidance as to what can force an audit, and that makes sense. And in fact, it still is completely random. So there is that there is that chance that you can just pulled under the random process to make sure that because it is a self-reporting, mm-hmm. self-reliant uh, system that you're doing it and you're doing it honestly along the way. So you always have that sort of fear in the background. How <laughs> difficult is it? What do you, what do they ask of you? Yeah. So if you if you've been chosen for an audit, you're going to receive a letter from them telling them that they're looking at your tax, which tax year they're looking at, and what is being reviewed. So they're going to give you that information. Um, and it always starts with a personal interview with you and the auditor uh, that's representing CRA. So usually you're going to go into the tax office and um, it may just be able to be cleared up right away. So, but generally they're going to, you're going to know right away what tax year is the issue about mm-hmm. and what is the specific area that you're most concerned about. Well, it was your rental receipts. It was your donation receipts. It was your your net, your, your expenses, mm-hmm. um, your personal expenses. So your entertainment expenses. It could be any line item that they're asking for. So you'll know in that letter sort of generally what the area is and what tax year, and then you're going to need to make an appointment to see them. And so the one number one thing I can stress here is don't delay. The, the fact, if you get on top of it right away, don't pretend you missed the call. Don't procrastinate yeah. on this one because, uh, you know, all of the auditors at CRA, like everybody else, they've got a list of you know 20 people they have to get through in the next month. And if you're the person who never calls them back, never responds, and your name just keeps going back to, on the list again every time, well, you're not helping to make their job any easier, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so make sure you respond quickly. That's number one. Right away, phone the person. I got your letter today. I got your letter yesterday. What do we need to do now? And uh, and that usually starts the appointment. So the next thing is you got to park your hostility. And this, uh, you know, I had my kids got audited for their very each of them. Uh, the last, the, the first two for their rental expenses at university. Mm. And you know. They were pretty good at you know making sure they got the receipts and everything. We had to track down the landlord and get it all, et cetera. And, uh, and I thought to myself, you know, in the old days when we used to have to provide all the receipts for mm-hmm. all this stuff right at the beginning, they already, they already had it. So you either had the paper or you yeah. didn't have the paper. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, I get frustrated with that kind of stuff. So, but check your hostility at the door and make sure that you're just open and honest. Um, be nice, yeah. you know? They, they've got a life to go home to just like you do. And yeah. uh, trust me, they want to make it as easy for, on themselves as well. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's just, as I said, checking, uh, checking some details on a return and you'll leave without any changes as well. Mm-hmm. So everything looked fine. Um, so they do have the request. Uh, they do have the ability to request documents from you, such as books, records, invoices, bank statements, but only provide them with what's requested and nothing more. Hmm. So, you're, you know. <laughs> Don't walk in with Here's a full everything. folder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, whatever's been asked for, provide it. And um, and if there's more, more questions after that, fine. Provide mm-hmm. the additional information. And uh, now it's also 
it is a standard practice where people do refer their personal representative. So don't think you're trying to hide behind somebody or something if you send your accountant, if you've right. got an accountant that, that does your um, and is prepared to do that for you, or maybe you've got a lawyer. So that doesn't necessarily mean a red flag for them because that's pretty common. Yeah. Okay? We, know we don't understand our taxes that much. Better to send my, right. my accountant or my lawyer who's very familiar with the situation as well. And so obviously, depending on the complexity of the books and of the audit, it could take a few weeks and it could even take a few years, as we know about Donald Trump, right? <laughs> He's <laughs> still it being, never end. It never ends. It just yeah. keeps going. Wouldn't um, you love to see those actually? No. <laughs> the more he doesn't want to give them to you, the more you want to see them. Yeah, that's true too. The audit, the, 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 the CRA audit for, yes. for Donald. We'll see what that would look like. Anyway, um, but uh, so if you do owe money, there will be uh, penalties, and um, and usually once that's been assessed, you want to pay it right away because the penalties are actually much higher. They're as much as five percent a day once it's been determined that you know they've reassessed it and there is a penalty. Now going forward, you got to get it paid right away. Mm-hmm. And uh, and CRA is the right of it's the first payer of everything. You know it doesn't matter you. They don't care about your mortgage payment. They don't care about your car loan. Yeah. They don't care about your student loan. They don't care. You, you got to pay them first. Yeah. So the bottom line. And um, so, you know what? I guess the, re- the reality is, is that, uh, that audits are definitely just part of our system. And, you know, I, I've had, I haven't had one for quite a few years, but- um, Knock on wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> there we go. Um, but you know what? It, it's pretty straightforward. I think if you're cooperative, um, you're working with the auditor, you, you're maintaining reasonable books, you know, that's important. Mm-hmm. You do have to keep records. You can't just show up, well, you know, here's my credit card statement. That's, yeah. that's not yeah. going to be enough either. So, you know what? And I think finally, and this is, I hope we're done and I come in too, is when we're trying to work from a financial plan, again, that stress of your taxes or being audited or being offside on your taxes, we're going to try and make sure that we're, you're doing it properly. Mm-hmm. We're going to make sure we're going to give you honest advice, tax reduction, not tax uh, avoidance. Avoidance, <laughs> avoidance okay. is okay. It's the evasion. It's us. the evasion that's the bad one. <laughs> yeah, that that um, one uh, lands you in a different place to know, stay. We're gonna we'll clear you on that one for sure. And uh, but I think that's what helps people a little have a little less stress during tax time as well is knowing that you've got good records, you've got a good plan in place, and and you're doing it on an up and up situation. Is there's it intimidating no, no being worse. audited? Well, I think that I think it is intimidating. Because they sort the of got time, you over a barrel. It's going to be more intimidating if you do have something to hide. Yeah, you know? yeah. So if, if it's not good, if you don't have good records and, uh, and, and you have to, I think it's time consuming. Like yeah. You really do. You really have to prep if you haven't done a, a little bit of prepping all the way along. That's and now what all I've of heard. You're yeah. hit a lot with of prep. Yeah. You know, they want to audit all of your um, entertainment expenses, for, mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. example. So you have to have all the individual receipts. What was the uh, what was the event about? Who did you talk uh, to? What client did you speak with? And what did you talk about? And it, that has to be indicated. So. Is there any way to avoid it? Well, like you said, some of it's just random. But are there? It is. There is mm-hmm. completely the random side of it. Uh, as I said, the main the main big reasons are change in reporting. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you're making a big change, suddenly you've got bigger expenses, or you've claimed something for the first time, yeah. or you've got uh, bigger income, or swings in income. Um, or you're, you're offside in terms of other people in your industry. Yeah. Um, th- these are things that are going to create red flags. So yeah. if there's a rational reason for it, then you're going to be fine, but the, you, you should probably anticipate that you're going to get asked. Yeah. Yeah, for and, sure. And anybody that has a T4 slip, maybe some T5 slips, an RSP slip, they are not going to get audited. Mm-hmm. It's a very straightforward 
because these are all forms that the government is getting also. Yeah. So they're getting a copy of these. It's when they get to claim things that they don't get copies of. Right. Um, for example, medical receipts. They may mm-hmm. ask for those, medical as Andy mentioned. Yeah. And capital gains is, is one that, you know, if you're selling a stock, there is no actual T-slip. You have to report that. Or, or a rental property is, is probably a better example. You know, they, they would have to audit and look at the deed of the property has changed to see if there's a change of ownership. So you do have to show the capital gain and then any, and the reason why the capital gain is what it was. So all these are capital gains get audited a fair bit. Interest expenses for um, investment loans get audited. So I have actually been audited a couple of times also. And, you know, the, as soon as you get the letter, it's like, oh boy. And, but then when you open up, as Andy mentioned, a well-prepared tax return, it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. But if it wasn't prepared properly, and you didn't have all the records, and now you got to start searching five years after the fact for yeah. things, then it gets a little hairy. Well, I think one area that's going to change, and this is a result of the recent tightening of the mortgage lending mm-hmm. side of it, and also the principal residence exemption for non-resident Canadians. Like You have to be living here in Canada to be able to claim the principal residence exemption. Yeah. So uh, I think that's an area where listeners, if you're planning to sell your home, and if you have a second property, a cottage or another vacation property, um, the principal residence exemption where tax-free sale of your home, that's going to become, I think, a much more scrutinized transaction yeah. because it's pretty loosey-goosey right now in terms of how those numbers unfold. Um, and really, there's no, rec- there's no previous record-keeping mm-hmm. of any of this. Like, you may have sold a house... Uh, a cottage as your principal residence, you know, 15 years ago. And now your home that you've been living in for the last 15 years, you sell. Who knows? They don't know that you had a second property 15 years ago and that this doesn't qualify as your principal residence. So now the charting and the recording is going to ask you literally year by year, where was your, what was your principal residence or when did you buy the home? Yeah. What Was it a principal residence this year or was it not? And you'd have to, you're going to have to declare every single year all the way along. Mm. And actually, this is you know well overdue. This uh, you know it's I actually it interesting is. that they basically trusted us all these years that you had a, a property and you got the biggest asset that Canadians have, and it's tax free as long as you live in it. Mm-hmm. Yet they really didn't audit this. So I, I actually agree with this uh, this whole new process that the government has to go because there are, there's when it's this easy, you know, people possibly could be taking advantage of it. So. When it, it will actually show up uh, uh, on the Schedule 3 with capital gains. And if you sell your house after December 31st, so starting next year, so any, any house, um, home sold this year, it won't matter. But starting next year, you have to declare as a capital gain, and then you get an uh, offsetting deduction once you prove that you, it, it was your principal residence. Hmm. And I don't think this is a big deal, but it would be for the ones that aren't supposed to be getting this principal residence status, such as foreigners, as Andy mentioned, and this has also possibly been a reason why real estate prices have been rising because, you know, if you're playing a game, wow, I can get it tax-free. Yeah. And I don't know what's going over in Asia or wherever these uh, foreign buyers are coming from, <clears throat> but, you know, they often know the rules better than we do. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so when they're over, they're looking at this and they say, okay, yeah, it's your principal resident and you won't have to pay tax on it. This could be all part of this grand scheme. Yeah. And, and obviously with property values going up, around almost 20% this year, you know, after they've gone up already a fair bit, you know, I'm glad to see the government stepped in and, and done something about this. And I think the other the other area that may be of caution is if you're in the business of, of renovating and flipping a home, renovating and flipping a home and moving, and mm-hmm. moving on, moving on, moving on constantly as your 
principal residence in theory, like right. you're only you're living in it. Um, there, that could be deemed to be uh, just regular income instead mm. of uh, instead of capital gains, and instead of um, instead of uh, a tax free principal residence. Mm. So. They're, um, yeah, it's it's something that is going to tighten up, and and I agree with Don. I think it's it's probably been overdue. Yeah, and you go back to the late '80s, and that was actually the same thing that was going on then. People were flipping houses, yeah, and all of a sudden they turned it from capital gains, and they had to show that it was income. They weren't they weren't there long enough. They showed that you know you can't have one every year, mm-hmm. and it was a business, not a house or right. a residence. So it's so the, the whole property situation right now does remind me a lot of the late '80s. And uh, kind of that whole idea that I've got to buy now before the prices go up further. So they added another layer to try to slow things down a bit. And this was an interesting one. They added this layer a, a few years back that you had to borrow based on the five-year rate. Well, what's, what's happened since then is all the banks have lowered their five-year la- rate, hmm. including Investors Group. Uh, our five-year um, closed mortgage rate is, is under 2.5%. Mm-hmm. However, the posted rate that all the banks are showing is almost four and a half percent, but they're not paying. Nobody's ever paying four and a half percent. They're going with the two and a half percent. So they had to, they had to get the loan based on their borrowing uh, ability was based on what they could get a five-year rate for. Well, now they're going with the posted rate, and they've looked at this and say, so if you look at a, a, someone with an averaging an annual income rather of eighty thousand dollars, and they put forty thousand dollars down. And they were your call it your average first time home buyer. Right now, that person could have bought a five hundred twenty thousand dollar home. After October seventeenth, it will drop to four hundred twenty five thousand. Mm. So a ninety five thousand dollar difference mm. on that particular situation. So it's going to bring a lot of people out of the market, which isn't necessarily a bad thing either because they probably shouldn't have been in the market because they're. There was no wiggle room. If interest yeah. rates went up a tiny bit, they may be forced to sell their house and possibly take a loss. Mm-hmm. And it kind of forces those first-time buyers probably into the condo market to yes. start with, yeah. uh, especially in, in Toronto, because yeah. 420 versus 520 is a big difference in what you can afford or what you can get in terms of a home. And maybe that's a good place they should be in the beginning yeah. anyway, is yeah. in a condo. So, Or you're forced to be out. You move out to the, to the suburbs or the, right. G, the GTA where you can get a house for 420. So I think the whole idea here is to protect the downside risk. And this is great. You know, yeah. trying to get the foreign buyers to actually have to, they don't get the principal residence. Yeah. They, they make the uh, buyers have to get the posted five-year rate. These are all things to, really, these are laws anyway. Okay, they're just enforcing them now. And I think it's a great idea. And, and hopefully, we'll have kind of the normal markets where the real estate just generally goes up a little bit over inflation. Certainly not the 20% it's been going up. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Going to talk about leaving money to... Uh, minors, underage people. <laughs> underage people, exactly. And it's it's a it's a big decision actually because you, you don't really think about it. Your most grandparents, um, as I'm talking to them about their estate plan, you go, oh well, we're, we want we've got ten grandkids now, and we want to leave each of them ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You know, that's a hundred grand we've set aside for the grandkids, and um, 
and and so they and they're going to do that through their will and so as a gift straight cash and the problem is is that my next question is well are any of them under the age of 18 and because if you're 18 or if you're under the age of 18 you're considered a minor in the province of Ontario and you can't sign the legal documents to accept that cash or deal with that cash through the will mm-hmm. and so you know there's $10,000 coming to you uh, to your to your child or as a as a minor and and so what would happen is that the province of Ontario would actually take over as the trustee and they would now be in charge of the money in terms of how it would be invested uh, very conservatively, uh, how it might be paid out or doled out. And then, but once the child reaches 18, then the cash becomes theirs. And that's, so that may be fine, you know, that may be work out fine, but there's always costs involved because the public trustee charges money mm-hmm. to manage this amount. So it's not a very convenient thing and it's certainly not straightforward from an administrative thing that's for sure um the second option is that then you might say well wait a minute i don't want that kind of i've been advised maybe i should put it in trust and so it'll be in trust until they reach a certain age at which point they can have access to it you have to name a trustee so someone that's going to monitor the account look after filing tax returns for the account as well and then would be um, responsible for dispersing the funds either during the time period uh, up until the age they get all of it or if it's all at the end at age 25 or whatever number you've picked but again now we've got somebody and a legacy of ongoing administration that's going to be associated with it as well um, sometimes we get people asking us about joint ownership. Can I put my um, a young child or a minor in as joint owner on an account? And this kind of goes back to the first scenario where if you die first, then now the money ends up in their hands and then technically they're at a situation where they can't administer it and the public trustee would have to come in again unless you appoint someone uh, to be a trustee. And again, costs and administration associated with it. And the other one, which I just wanted to spend a, a few minutes on, is the naming of a beneficiary, either if it's a life insurance policy, uh, again, we're into that same situation where money is received by the minor, and now it again has to be held, the public trustee is going to administer it, etc. There is a situation where people would, would name the beneficiary, a minor child, as a beneficiary for their RRSP plan or a RIF plan, your Registered Retirement Income Fund. And it's a kind of a unique situation where there's special rules that when you give, let's say I have $100,000 in my RSP plan, and I name my minor child as the beneficiary, and uh, he's 10 years old. So under the, the tax rules, that $100,000 is now, it's not going to be taxed in my hands at death. So I don't pay tax on it. The money is used to purchase a term certain annuity, an annuity that will pay each year an amount between the age they are, so from age 10 through to age 19, or I guess the 18th year technically. So in this case, there'd be nine years. So they would basically get kind of one-ninth of the amount every year, and they would pay tax on it at their tax rate. So the strategy is mm-hmm. that in Ontario, you know, you can earn about thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars a year, and not pay any tax. So if I put a hundred grand in, it literally works out over nine years that you could receive at five percent growth on that hundred grand, uh, a thirteen thousand five hundred dollars per year for nine years, and all that money then would end up in the hands of the miner, um, tax free. 
no tax. So basically you've got $100,000 out of your RSP or your RIF with zero tax. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so the, it is something that I think you can look at as a strategy that once your children reach age 18, then that advantage is gone, yeah. right? Or even if they get closer to age 18 because you have fewer years. So if they were 15, you only have three years in which you could uh, spread the money out over. So you'd have to reduce the pot of money. So the strategy I've actually seen people use is when the children are very young, you know, one or two years old, they name uh, them as a beneficiary with a large amount, say 200,000 of RSPs. And then as they get to age 10 each year, a little bit less, at 10, it's down to 100,000. By age 15, it's like 50 grand. And by age 18, that's it. They, they stop naming them as beneficiaries anymore. So there is some strategies around that. You just have to be very cautious in terms of monitoring it and making sure that you haven't put too much in terms of the beneficiary. So if you've got multiple RSPs, you can name one person, you can split them up, right? So if you've got half a million dollars in RSPs, you could have you know, $100,000 goes to one minor child, another hundred grand goes to another minor child, and then 50 grand goes to one minor child so that you can again spread it out in this annuity between the age at which they receive it to age 19. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, is a, it is an interesting twist. And the, and the whole other subject, which we're, we, we'll, we might have time to talk a little bit about, but is the joint ownership uh, question. And so the scenario is that we get this a lot. I'll get a phone call from a listener and they'll say, um, I'm, in my hou- I'm in a house, I'm, getting, I'm retired, I'm thinking about moving into retirement residence, but I do want to stay here maybe as long as I can. Should I add my adult child, my son or my daughter, as joint owner on my principal residence? And this is happening a lot, where people are doing this with their homes. They're adding their adult child's name as joint owners. And, um, you know, th- th- the question is, the answer to the question is, should I do it or not? There's probably very limited times when it makes sense. And one might be is if you have an only child, so just one. Mm-hmm. And the second caveat would be is if they already didn't own a home. Mm. Because they will deem to be now own half that home. Yeah. And they, they can claim it as their principal residence. But if they own a second home, they're now going to be playing, paying capital gains tax yeah. on the future sale of that home. So there's very limited reasons where this makes sense. But uh, uh, it is something we get asked a lot of questions. On the negative side, you can create a real mess. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, creating income through selling your house. Yes, on the other side of the coin, all these people that are buying houses, somebody's got to be selling them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of interesting. You're seeing a lot of the seniors taking advantage of this right now. Um, the homes are very well-priced, well to say the least. And they're thinking, okay, I could get some of this equity out of the house and enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing all sorts of situations where there's, they're downsizing or they're moving to a different city, um, say, you know, from Oakville to Brentford. And, of course, the housing price in Brentford are a lot, you know, a lot lower for the same type of house than it is in uh, um, Oakville. Mm-hmm. So I had a situation last week where somebody sold a house in good old England mm-hmm. and moved into the basement apartment that was made for them at their son's house mm-hmm. here in the city. And it was great, great setup. And I looked at it, and they're thinking, okay, I got $800,000, and she needs $18,000 after tax 
to live on. Mm-hmm. Now, normally you think, well, eighteen thousand dollars out of eight hundred thousand, it shouldn't be that hard. So she went to the bank, and just to check out what the rates were, and she realized it might not Yikes. be as easy as it was that she thought. Um, at one percent, eight hundred thousand dollars—that's only eight thousand a year. Yeah. Two percent, obviously, is sixteen thousand dollars a year, and it's hard to get two percent. But then. After that, you got to think, you can pay income tax on this. Yeah. And she is getting some pension from Britain. But if you're going to get $16,000, part of it will go to income tax. So right off the bat, we're, we're chatting. And I, I mentioned to her, I says, well, w- another option that's extremely pop- popular for my clients is our dividend fund. And it's currently paying approximately 3%. And now instead of buying, you know, putting money in the bank, you're actually owning shares of the bank. And the reason I say that is about 60% or two-thirds, somewhere in that realm, of the dividend fund is in the financial institutions. And and after everything's said and done, after expenses, they're netting slightly over 3% of dividends every quarter. Uh, not every quarter, over the year, but it's paid quarterly. Mm-hmm. So that works out to 24000 a year. Now, all of a sudden, the, she's happy. She's, she says, wow, it can be done. But the nice part about it, dividends in her particular situation are tax-free. And so she's getting this 24000 a year tax-free. Mm-hmm. Even if she was trying to get that in interest, 20% of it would have gone to the government in form of tax. Yeah. Because interest is taxed at 20% at that tax bracket. Dividends, it would be tax-free because of the dividend tax credit. So that was one option. Now, I said this isn't the only option. But yes, when you go through you know, different types of investments, you're looking at all the guaranteed investments paying very low rates of return. I know Andy and I, we chatted about um, annuities. Um, I believe it was the last show. Mm-hmm. And they're getting a, a very good rate right now. And, and if you're actually interested in getting an annuity, get it before December 31st because they are changing the rules on annuities, the tax rules, mm-hmm. that is. And more of your income will be taxable because they're still basing the old, uh, the annuity the taxable portion is based on actuarial tables back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. They haven't changed those for 50 years. So people are living longer. So it could make a difference. So if an annuity makes sense, definitely consider it. Uh, this person did not like annuity. She loved to have the control. Didn't want to lose control and wanted to leave an estate. Problem with a, an annuity is that once you pass away, there's no funds left over. Yeah. So then you have to think about, okay, well, then I, got, uh, I should buy a life insurance policy. Well, then you better be life and you better be insurable. So there's a there's more to it than simply an annuity, but annuity may work for part of the solution. The reason I say part of it is there was a lot of different options for this. Dividend was the original solution. I did bring up annuities to this person, had zero interest, but at least I explained that this is how it works. Another option that Andy and I have talked about over the years have been T series. T is in Tom. And what happens in those products? Is it's the exact same. Um, use the dividend fund as an example. 3% might be the income payout, which is taxable. But again, because you're in, because you're in a low tax bracket, it's tax-free. But you're taking out 4.25% per year. And the principal, the other 1.25% uh, is tax-free because you're wearing down the principal. You're not touching the... It's not capital gain. So even if it uh, had a 10% growth one year, you're taking one and a quarter percent of your original principal. And in this particular case, they love this idea. In fact, there's one product we have 
that it's an enhanced growth product, it pays out a six and a quarter percent return. Now, if it doesn't do it, you're, you're encroaching on capital. Don't get me wrong, but it would be virtually tax-free. And you can always have a side fund to overfund that. So when you see that go down in value, well, you have some extra funds and you keep filling up the other, this uh, T-series fund and getting you this income that you desire. So at the end of the day, you need a financial plan. It's not as simple as the, uh, say, 20 years ago. Okay, what are your GICs paying? Okay, that will, should cover it. 10% will cover a lot of things. Yeah. Well, we're not getting anywhere near 10% anymore, as we all know. But there is a lot of ways to do this. And dividends are one of them. Fantastic. Want to plug the uh, seminar one more time? Great idea. Listen, uh, great opportunity. Christine Van Kallenberg, our uh, Vice President of Tax and Estate Planning at uh, Investors Group in Winnipeg, is going to be our guest Tuesday, October 25th, Leuna Station, 7 p.m. Please just uh, give our office a call or uh, check out andyanddon.com at the listener inquiry button. You can leave us your information and we'll get back to you and confirm if you have seating. It is limited, so I would say do it sooner rather than later. And mostly on estate planning, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. All right, we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. A couple of ways to get a hold of them. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget about their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. And of course, if you want to find out more about their seminar, on Tuesday, October 25th at Leuna. You can give both of those, uh, either number or website, uh, a ring. And of course, they will give you all the information. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll Thanks, see you next Scott. Week. We'll see you next week.